0: Oh my goodness. It was college football that bad yesterday? What's going on? Good morning, church. Good morning. Great to hear you. Great to see you. I can see some of you. Um, really glad you're here. Uh, wherever you're, if you're watching online, if you're with us, I um, want to say welcome. Uh, we are in a series walking through the book of Acts, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And so this is the 17th week, I believe, week 17. Doesn't feel that long, but, amen. I mean, like it's good. I hope it's been a good uh, series for you. If you've been around, if it's your first time uh, with us, uh, welcome. Uh, we're going to jump right into Acts chapter 17. This is the 17th week of the series, but we are going to be in chapter 17 this week. If you want to go ahead and get a head start and turn there, we're going to be starting in verse 16 of chapter 17 of the book of Acts. And so really thankful you're here with us. Glad you're here. Um, It's going to be a great day. Now look, uh, I can't, you can't, you can't uh, walk through a a study of the book of Acts without mentioning um, one of the most marquee events uh, that happen in this book we're not going to maybe maybe Shannon maybe we can like go back and 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 like tag on a a sermon just on uh, the end of chapter 16 which is the famous um, moment where Paul and Silas are in prison they've been thrown in jail for preaching the gospel and they start worshiping and stuff starts to shake earthquake comes through, chains fall off, all the prisoners, the, the, the cell doors fling open and all the prisoners are set free just because of two men worshiping God with everything they have. I would love to see that. In this place, I don't want the foundation to crack or anything, but I would love to see the roof come off this place. Not literally, but uh, figuratively speaking, when it comes to worship, because praise is a weapon, amen? Praise, it, it, there's nothing more powerful than thanking God for who he is and what he's done. Nothing, right? So we, I wanted to at least mention that. Go back and read. If you're not familiar with Paul and Silas thrown in prison for preaching the gospel and then them getting set free miraculously by the power of the Holy Spirit all as a result of their praise, right? A result of of giving God glory. So that was at the end of chapter 16. And so this is right on the heels of that. Paul and Silas, Paul has been released from prison, newly, freshly released from prison to once again resume preaching the gospel. So here he is, we pick up in chapter 17, and he has been to Thessalonica and Berea, and now he finds himself in the classic city Athens. See what I did there? Go dogs. Not that Athens. Not that Athens. All, my Auburn friends and Florida friends and they're like, "Come on, dude. Are you serious right now?" Athens, Greece, right? And so here's what we know about Athens, Greece. At the time, Athens, Greece was the cultural, philosophical hub of the world. It was the most advanced place on earth at the time, right? Not the largest, not the most populated, but the most advanced culturally speaking, right? It was a hub, right? And so the smart people, went to Athens so they could talk to other smart people and debate philosophical things and th- t- reason the, the meaning of existence and life and all the stuff and then you had you know all the the nice clothes being imported from all over the world and so it was this place where people converged on that were cultured <laughs> cultured people okay so this is where we are in chapter seven, seventeen we're going to pick up in verse 16 Paul has arrived in Athens Greece and So we read, starting in verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, What is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you're representing. You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Sounds like our culture a little bit. Verse 22, Paul then stood up in a meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not saved by human hands, served by human hands, excuse me, as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. In verse 32, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some, then, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them were Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, and also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. Let's pray. Father, um, if anything good is going to come out of the next few moments, it is going to be by your Spirit. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, as we look through this text, as we call out truth from it, as we apply it to our lives. Help us to be sensitive to your Spirit, to listen for your voice, and understanding that the true power of this morning comes from your Word, and the Spirit who gives wisdom to understand it. God, this is your time. Jesus, we want to honor you in every way. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so here's Paul arriving in Athens, right? And uh, he's touring the city, and he notices these objects of worship, uh, statues, temples, monoliths, everything that you can think about with ancient Rome is that's that's kind of what you I picture, right? Anybody been to Rome? Anybody been to Athens? Maybe Athens, not Georgia. Athens, Greece. Athens, Greece. Yeah. Um, you walk around. Some of most of them, not most. Some of them are still standing, right? Amazing, right? This very passage can be brought to life. You're standing in front of um, the Acropolis, which is uh, where the Athenian temple is. And then right below it is this smaller hill called the Areopagus Hill, which is also known as Mars Hill, right? And this is where this, this passage is, is, is taking place. So he's walking around Athens. The Bible says he is deeply distressed. Some versions say he's troubled. Some say he's angered. But he's just troubled by what he sees, right? He is a is a, a believer. He is he has uh, uh, been transformed by God Himself. He knows the the God that is being attempted that, that's attempting. Be, to be worshipped here to an unknown god. It says an inscription on one of them. So he's kind of like, oh man, like look at all these beautiful, look at all this work they put into this, look at all these objects and places of worship, and it, it isn't a shame that they amount to nothing. It isn't it a shame that people spent years, some of them, building these beautiful edifices, and they really amount to nothing. See, in the Roman culture and Greek culture, there are over 300 gods. So they were super paranoid about not offending God. So what they did was they built temples and things to all of them. As many as they could build and as many objects of worship that they could build, they did. And So they they wouldn't leave any out. (laughs) And so there's one that Paul sees and says to an unknown, whatever other gods are out there just checking the box, just crossing the T's and dotting the I's here. Covering our bases, here we are to the unknown God. And so Paul is deeply distressed by this. Athens was the philosophical and cultural hub of the day. It's where the smart people went. Intellectuals, right? And and notice what Paul does also. When he, almost always, when he entered a new town, the first place he went, you you guys know the first place he went to, to, to minister? The first people group that he went to? Who were they? The Jews. If there were Jews there, anywhere, he would go to the synagogue first. Um, Partially because he was a Jew himself, right? Um, But he had a special place in his heart for the Jewish people. So he would go to the synagogue first and share the good news of Christ with them first right? Because they were still kind of under the law, and they, they had rejected Christ, mostly altogether, and so he went to them first as his own people, which is natural, correct? Like, so we live in Lowndes County, you know, and so naturally, our first mission field is to Lowndes County, correct? Naturally, our first mission field, the, 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 the first, the, the people who should get the, the, the most of our um, evangelistic um, directive is are are the people that we do life with okay so he's going and 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 sharing with the jews first and then he moves on and goes into the marketplace and anyone who would listen he would he would preach the gospel um all all the locals there the greeks the romans anyone who happened to be standing by so it was customary when he reached a city to start with the jews and then move on from there that was kind of the baseline all right but then he um he 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 runs into two distinctive groups, um, the Epicureans and the Stoics. Before we dig into who they are, I want to share a, a, a picture with you of a famous painting by the great Italian painter Raphael, who lived in the late 1400s, early 1500s. Um, this is a this is a famous painting by him of this very event in Acts chapter 17. And it's called Paul in Athens. I really don't know why he could have named it something uh, a little little more catchy than that. The painting is called Paul in Athens. All right? So, um, wasn't great with titles, but he was fantastic on the canvas. Amen? Um, The great painter Raphael, not the Ninja Turtle. Y'all know they're Named for like Renaissance painters and stuff. Y'all know that, right? Artists, okay? All right, so Michelangelo. What are they? Donatello, Mike, uh, Raphael, and Leonardo. Hey, all right. So not the Ninja Turtle, but the famous Italian painter, Raphael. Sorry, kids are like, I don't know this. You, you know who Ninja Turtles are, right? Kids, y'all know who the Ninja Turtles are? Okay, okay. I digress. But see, this, so this, this painting was begun in the early 1500s and was completed about 1515. And um, if you look closely at the painting, you can see in the background all the idols and the, the, the objects of worship that Paul mentions here in this passage. This is at the Areopagus, which was a like a town hall meeting place for people to debate and discuss philosophical things. Deep, deep things, matters of life and existence and eternity and maybe eternity, I don't know. But like, you know, for them, all the things, all the questions that people still ask today, they were debating these things. What is life all about? What what am I here for? All those things. And they would discuss the latest idea. And the Areopagus was also known as Mars Hill. You can actually go there today and they've got a plaque sitting right out front of uh, Mars Hill. And it has, in the inscription, describes Acts 17, the, the message that, that we just heard Paul preach to the Athenians, which is pretty cool. You can stand there and see the spot where he, or the, almost the relative spot where he preached. So he ran into two groups while preaching to the Greek community there. The first are the Epicureans. I want to, I want to just kind of describe them to you. They're kind of the hippies of the day. They were materialists, they, they, they didn't, they really, you know, afterlife may or may not exist, you know, that, that's kind of cool, but we're, the here and now is what we're, we're worried about, right? They're naturalists, they're, they're like, uh, okay, they sort of believed in all the mythical gods, sort of, but they were cynical at the same time, uh, but they saw humanity um, as being... Um, independent of any interference from a divine presence like they just kind of live their life and you know the gods if they're out there they don't mess with us we just we live our life we do what we want to do and and when we die we don't know what happens but you know that's why we're here so yeah man like just don't worry be happy those are the epicureans we've got some epicureans you know you know you know any epicureans i do (laughs) you know people that are just kind of like you know this thing of of afterlife or existence, or there's a God, maybe, maybe not. I, you know, I, man, I can't be bothered with that. I'm just, I'm just in the here and now I'm living day by day. I'm having, I'm here for a good time, not a long time. <laughs> Those are the Epicureans. It's, it's kind, kind of a crude way of putting it, but that's kind of who they were. And so you got the don't worry, be happy people. God's, the gods don't interfere with my life too much. Then you have the stoics. And so the stoics also believed in the gods, but they believed that life could be influenced by the gods. So they were they were the ones that really were careful not to tick the gods off. All right? They were they were real careful to make sure they they uh, you know crossed the t's and dotted the i's with the gods. Okay, don't don't you know live a decent quiet life so that the gods won't strike you down, all right? All right, they 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 found a divine principle in nature right? Um, reasoning, the power of the human mind, right? These are the Stoics and the cosmic order of life. That's kind of who they were. You know any Stoics? I do, All right. People can fall into these categories, can't they? Even modern day people. I know some Stoics. I know some Epicureans, um, but these are the people that Paul was having dialogue with. And The Bible says he reasoned with them. He reasoned with them. That, that, uh, the Greek word for reason here is, is, is for dialogue. He's going back and forth with them. He's not, he's not arguing. He's not trying to win the, the argument that my God's better than your God. He's not, um, he's not even blasting their beliefs right now. He's hearing them out. They're hearing him out. It's it's kind of a a different take on evangelism from the Apostle Paul, isn't it? Uh, Most of the time, Paul came in guns blazing, right? And I'm sure he wasn't rude about it, but he was to the point. And this is a different different, um, scene for Paul than we see in other areas of Scripture. He's reasoning with these people. He wants to find common ground. He is building a bridge to them. He is building a bridge. And, And folks, this is really important. If you're going to share the gospel, if you're going to, if you're going to talk about Jesus to someone, you have to, to, to build some relational capital with them. You have to build trust with them. You have to have a relationship with them. No one, You know, you can be out like the guy I saw last Saturday in Athens, Georgia. I wasn't in Athens, Greece last, last Saturday. You can be like the bullhorn guy with the megaphone with the, the the sign draped over him telling me i'm going to go to hell if i go inside the stadium and watch a football game and i, I can't resist every time i walk by i was like no i'm not you're gonna hell. no i'm not you might be i do pretty harsh man like i i don't know i know where i'm going i don't have time to like de- debate with you but uh, yeah and that's that's not the way Man, that's not the way. No one's listening to you. In fact, I I say the same thing every time. Like, there are more people turned off to the gospel than reached. Now, God can use any old person in any way in all their futile attempts to reach someone. God can do anything he wants, amen? But that's not the way. That's not the way. We build relational capital with people. We build relationships with people. We build their trust. And through, through natural dialogue, Jesus ought to come up because Jesus lives in me, correct? It's just a natural progression. He's there and he's saying, look, I'll be here as long as it takes. I'm just gonna, I just wanna talk. Let's talk. I'm not here, I am here to reach you, but he didn't tell them that. He's there to have dialogue. He's there to build relational capital with them. And he says in verse 22, he says, I see that you're very religious, for as I walk around and look carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you're ignorant of the very thing you worship. And you know, when we, say, when we hear the word ignorant, we, we think, oh, my gosh, he just offended the entire thing. You know, when, he basically is saying, look, you're worshiping something that you're not aware of, and I, I want to make you aware of it. So we read that, we kind of go, oh, he went for the jugular. You're you're all ignorant. No, he's trying to build a bridge to them. Paul is appealing, listen, to their intellect and their hunger for knowledge. Listen, he reasons with them and appeals to their hunger for some sort of like truth. And listen, he builds a bridge to communicate an ultimate truth. He's saying, you hunger for the truth. I see it but I have an ultimate truth that I've been given, um, I've been, um, my eyes have been opened to an ultimate truth, right? That's different from the truth that you're looking for. So Paul methodically and boldly preaches the gospel. Verses 24 through 31. He goes through, he has all the main points. He says, there's a creator that created everything in it. He created you. He loves you. He gave you purpose. And then he goes on, he says, and and through one man comes eternal life, and that's Jesus, and he, he died for our sin, and he was resurrected. That's super important. He was resurrected. You can't leave out the resurrection. If the resurrection is left out of our message, it is not the true gospel. And he was resurrected, and now, so because of that, we all should repent. Because of that, we all should turn from our sin and turn to Christ, That was the message. If you ever want to know how to to preach the gospel or to to, to present the gospel to someone, Acts 17 is a great template. You can go in those last few verses and you can can mark out main points. There are a lot of smart people that have broken this down and put Paul's uh, message into five five main uh, points for you to use in helping you present the gospel to people. This is a great template. If you ever want to go to, some, go to somewhere in the Bible and say succinctly, this is what it means to share the gospel. This is it right here, especially with people who are so far away from God uh, idealistically, right, in their thinking. So notice Paul doesn't present a watered down, culturized, sanitized version of the gospel. Notice this, notice this. He builds an emotional relational bridge With them, but he does not hold back once he's there. Amen? He doesn't hold back. Now I'm sure he wasn't rude, but he did not, he did not want to deprive them of the true gospel. Folks, we are so worried about offending others in our culture that if 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 the gospel itself offends anyone we tweak the gospel and we round the edges off so that it won't hurt anyone's feelings folks that is not the gospel if i have done it i'm sure some of you have too where i just want to soften the edges of it make it more palatable i can't make the gospel more palatable i am dead in my sin and lost without christ i can't make it i can't make that palatable jesus took my place i deserved hell Jesus took my place. He died in my place. And then he was resurrected three days later so that I one day could be resurrected if I put my faith and trust in him. And so now all I can do is fall to my knees and repent. That is the gospel. If if, If we round the edges of that and leave any part of that at all, out, we have not shared the gospel. We've shared a a sanitized, cleaned up version of it that doesn't affect or change anyone's life. It doesn't. A culturized version of the gospel won't change a soul. If our goal is to make folks feel good, as a church, I hope that's never us. It's not. The goal is to make people feel better about themselves and give them a spiritual pat on the back, then we are not a church at all, but the church, the church is centered on the king, the linchpin of the church is the gospel, the pure, explicit, unfiltered gospel and this is what Paul does after he builds the relational bridge to them, he presents the gospel in all of its power and all of its glory the truth the whole truth we must share the whole truth we must share the whole truth and find a way to do it speak truth in grace find a way to to do it in the most loving way possible we have to love people well if you don't we don't love people well they're not going to listen to what we have to say so find a way to love them well, but we have to. But by loving them, we present the truth to them. If I love someone who's lost in my family, I'm going to present the truth. I can't present an altered version of it. I can't. Right? This is what Paul does to everyone who's listening. Evangelism will often require some bridge building. Listen to me, bridge building. We got to build some bridges with people. It's going to take some your your uh, you know your classmates, students your your, um, colleagues at work. It's going to take some bridge building. You have to find an entry point to deeper conversation. You know, the the entry point I usually try to find is either like music or sports or, um, you know, uh, movies that we have in common. Like, I find an entry point usually through sports or music. That's all I know. I don't know much. I just know sports and music. Um, but that's, the, that's the, the relational bridge that I try to build. You know, we take our students to places every summer, and, you know, we spent last summer in New Orleans, and, you know, it's interesting to see students, teenagers, build relational bridges to people on the street they've never seen again, or never, nor will they ever see again. And to, 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 to find something in common so that the gospel can be represented represent, there. Isn't that great? to find something in common so that the gospel can be made clear. See, many times winning people's minds comes before winning their hearts. Winning someone's mind comes, from, comes before winning their hearts, building a, a relational connection to them. In reality, Paul was appealing to something innate in every human being. Listen to me. This, this, is, this is a longing for divine truth. In reality, Paul's appealing something that every human has in them, at the core, it is this spiritual, even biological connection to God. Whether people are aware of it or not, everyone has this connection. That's why the Greeks and the Romans built all these beautiful uh, edifices and temples and statues. They were attempting to worship. They were, that was their attempt at worship, right? Because there was something innate inside of them that looks upward, right? And looks inward and goes, okay, there's, there's got to be a God somewhere. I don't care if the, the most staunch atheistic person, when they lay their head on the pillow at night, there's got to be something in their heart and their mind that goes, you know, I, I've seen a sunset before. I've looked at the night sky before. I saw that picture that NASA put out about six months ago. It's a keyhole into the night sky, and there are billions of galaxies right there. And somewhere in there is a little arrow, red arrow pointed to our galaxy, which somewhere way down in there, our galaxy is so massive, we can't even, If we lived a thousand lifetimes, we couldn't go at the speed of light to get outside of. And, and, and somewhere in there is a little dot that's our galaxy, and somewhere down in there is Earth, and somewhere down in there is Georgia and then Valdosta, Georgia. So. There's, there's something innate in every human, whether they want to admit it or not, that is yearning and longing for deeper truth and is connected physiologically, biologically to a God, to the one true God, creator God. Have we found that to be true? Have you found that to be true in your life? I have. I have. There's something innate, and Paul is, is appealing today. He says, look, you're very religious, but I want to give you a deeper truth here. I, I, I have been given a truth. The truth, the only truth there is, all of us, every human being, whether or not, we are yearning for our creator because we are image bearers of God. That's why people do what they do. That's why people do the stupid things they do. We are longing for meaning. So we do things to try to create meaning in our life. And God says, I am the way truth. and Jesus says, I'm the way truth and the lie. So that's what we do. We all do it. Even Christians, we, we, we spend our lives to make money, to, make, to create experiences, to go on vacations, to do cool stuff on this side of eternity because this side of eternity is all that matters. That's not true. So we do all these things. We pursue things and we pursue people because the inside of us there's a yearning and a longing for a creator God. And that's what Paul is doing here. Does life have meaning? I don't know. I'm trying to figure it out. Ecclesiastes 3.11 puts this so well. He says, God has planted eternity into the human heart. The great reformer and theologian, John Calvin, I don't quote John Calvin very much. We differ on a lot of things, but he puts it like this. He he, he had a Latin term for this innate sense in us. Let me see if I can pronounce it. Sensus divinitatis. It's pretty good, right? I I rehearsed it like 15 times this week. Sensus divinitatis. It means a sense of the divine. Every human has a sense of the divine. This is what Paul is appealing to in his dialogue with the Athenian philosophers. Paul is doing whatever possible to share the truth of Jesus Christ with anyone who will listen, no matter where they come from, who they are, what their background is. So he adjusts the method, but he does not alter the message. He adjusts the method based on his audience, but he does not alter the message. The message cannot be altered, but the method will often change. Amen? The method has to change depending on the audience, but the message remains solid. 1 Corinthians 9, 19 says, Though I am free, I belong to no one. I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I become like a Jew, to win the Jews. To those under the law, I become like one, uh, un, uh, one under the law, though I myself are not under the law. So as to win those under the law, to those not having the law i became like one not having the law though i am not free from god's law but under christ's law so as to win and not those not having the law to the weak i become weak to win the weak i have become all things to all people so that by all means possible i might save some now he didn't save anyone that's just that's a a translation of the original but Paul's not saving anyone just make that clear but so I become all things to all people so that the gospel can be presented and people will come to know Jesus that's what he's saying and listen I think we take that verse if you've ever heard that I become becoming all things to all people we what we do is we Uh, have taken that out of context and what we think that means in our culture is i'm just going to soften the edges of my christian faith so i don't offend anyone i'm going to soften the edges so that people will listen to me and not uh uh, degrade me or put me paul was degraded here they were he was sneered at it's going to happen if the truth is coming out in your lives in your words people some people are going to say going to reject you they're going to reject you whether you believe in jesus or not amen you're going to be rejected in this life no matter what. You bet, might as well be rejected for, for, the, for Christ. Amen. So he's, um, he, he's saying, don't soften the edges of your Christian faith. Let it be what it is. It's going to offend some people. You're going to offend some people even if you try your hardest not to. I find that, my, that when I'm trying not, my hardest not to offend someone, I offend more people. Is that true or not? I find that when I'm trying real hard not to offend anyone to make everyone happy with me, no one's happy with me. So therefore, I might as well go all in, jump in the deep end, and say, let the gospel be what it is. It will offend, but it will also help people repent and turn from their sin. That's the power in this. Paul doesn't want to lose the power. He wants to change the method, but the message must remain the same. The message must remain the same. So he says, I become all things to all people. What does that really mean? It means I'm gonna do anything possible short of sin to reach people with the gospel. The bottom line is Paul is setting an example for us to follow. Doesn't mean we need to compromise the message or what we believe or assimilate or blend into culture or conform in any way. But it does mean we're to build a relational bridge to people so that they can understand and, and, and make it make the gospel where they can understand it. Don't tweak the message, but, but break it down for them so that they can understand. Now, you might say, here, here's this is really important. Some of us are saying, but I'm not the Apostle Paul. I don't have those gifts. I, I don't speak real well. I get nervous. I don't know my Bible well. Listen, folks. I just say this, and this hurts me to the core. And so I hope it, I hope it stings a little bit for you too, because this is the only way we change. Not knowing your Bible is not an excuse anymore. If you don't know your Bible, who's, if I don't know my Bible, whose fault is that? It's mine, mine alone. If you don't know your Bible, well, you're not spending enough time in your Bible. If I don't know my Bible, then it's on me. It's on me. And it's not, it's not so that I can know things. It is because there's a world and there are people in my life that desperately need to hear the gospel. If I'm not armed with it, what good am I doing in my world? If I'm not armed with the gospel, if I'm not armed with truth, and I know my Bible at least, at least minimally well enough to be able to, 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 to present the gospel to someone who's lost, then what am I doing? Inside the, the heart of every believer is a soul winner. Inside the heart of every believer is a soul winner. You are not, I have, and Chris and I talked about this earlier. Uh, um, I've heard a 12-year-old, a middle schooler, present the gospel to a complete stranger and do a fantastic job. 12 years of life versus 40-something years of life. They, they, they're old enough, and they've been in church long enough, or they've had someone teach them and disciple them long enough to know the simple gospel, to be able to share it. And folks, anyone can do that. You can do it. Not only can you, you should. Not only can you, you should. Paul, Paul is not the Apostle Paul, the lofty Apostle Paul. He is simply a believer whose heart is passionately burning to see people come to know Christ. What about you? Is that you? Are you more concerned about people who are dying and going to hell than you are how people think about you? Are you a soul winner? You can be a soul winner. You can be one. You can start today. The first thing is you should arm yourself with the truth of God's Word. You should get in that thing. You should consume it. You should memorize. You should study it. You should study it alone. Study it with other people. You should, you should have someone pouring into you. You should get in a community group. You should You should be... Any, any chance I get, I should be like literally like immersed in the Word of God. And then I need to pray that God use me in some way to be a soul winner. Who's God calling you to build a bridge to this morning? Who's God calling you to be that Paul into, to that audience how can we appeal to the, the interests and the intellect of others in order to share the gospel? How can we build an emotional relational bridge to them? We need to have an answer, a reason for the hope that we have. We need to be armed with that. We need to know why, we, why do you go to that church? Why do you come to church? Why do you call yourself a Christian? We need to know why. You need to know why. You need to be confident in that. Everyone in this room can be confident in that. And we should be. Are we prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have in Christ, First 1 Peter 3, 15 says? Are we actually sharing the gospel, not only with our lives, but with our words? Listen, I don't care what kind of—you don't have to be a public speaker to share the gospel with your words. You must use words to share the gospel. You must. People can't just look at your life and tell that you love Jesus and see the gospel. Yes, God can, can God use that? Yes. But we, we, Listen, there are, there are no effective mute soul winners— Words must be said at some point to share the gospel. Are we doing that? Am I doing that? The the, 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 the answer is usually no, I'm not. Are we deeply grieved by the idolatry we see around in our world? Are we willing to be all things to all people, build a bridge? Are we being the soul winner God desires us to be? I'm going to ask the band to come back up. And as we close, if we go back into a time of worship um, real quick before before we leave. I have a couple action steps for you. One is a a prayer, and the prayer goes like this. Lord, help me to know your word so that I can give an answer for the hope that I have. Help me to know your word so that I can give an answer for the hope that I have. And number two it's another prayer. Lord, make me a passionate soul winner who will do anything to see others come to know you. Help me to know your word, to give an explanation for the hope that I have, and two, help me to be the passionate soul winner you desire me to be. It's that simple. Paul is setting an example. He's raising the bar. And I hope in somewhere in your heart, the bar has been raised for you to be who God called you to be, who God called me to be. I don't get a pass because I'm a pastor. I don't get a pass in this. Honestly, I can't tell you the last time I just randomly walked up to a stranger because God told me to and shared the gospel with them. Father, um, thank you for your truth. God, thank you that you can and will and desire to use any of us and all of us to share the message of the good news of Christ. Father, if any in here are timid or discouraged because they've been rejected because of their faith before, or they're not sure even if they know the gospel themselves, or they're not sure if they have a relationship with you at all, I pray that now would be the time that you would convict, heal, restore set our hearts on fire for people in our lives that we know don't know you and if we don't if we can't recall anyone right now God you'd put them on our hearts names faces and you would help us to arm ourselves with the truth Jesus you are the truth the way the life no one comes to the father but by you. It is a simple gospel. It's a simple message. Help us to share that with the world around us. We love you so much. In your name we pray. Amen.